I will start at the beginning of John chapter 11. This is our main text for this morning. And as ever, we pray that we will hear God's voice through the scripture particularly. Chapter 11 opens this way. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. This gives us the setting for our story. A man is sick. This is the starting point for all human stories in relation to God. The only question is whether or not we are aware of the sickness. Right now in our world, it's pretty easy to tell. Uh, There's a narcissistic oligarch, Putin, uh, ruthlessly killing thousands of innocent human beings and destroying an entire country. The world is an open wound from the devastation of the pandemic. This is a time of major grieving. This man is sick. And this man who is sick is part of a family, three siblings that are friends of Jesus, loved by Jesus as God loves the world, which makes the next part of our story almost incomprehensible. In verse 4, we read, When Jesus heard this, Lord, the one you love is sick, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. That's confusing enough, even to this point. It makes it sound almost like this is a performance in order for Jesus to show something. But then, verse 5, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Jesus loved, in fact, there's in the Greek, there's uh, modifiers for, uh, it's literally Jesus loved this Martha and this sister and this Lazarus to, to emphasize that these are people that he loves. And this is something that we have to hear. We have to know this. And we have to remember this always, especially because of what happens next. Yet, when he heard, Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. In the Greek, in this sentence, there's a word that is added that makes this (laughs) emphatically indecipherable is the way I had to write it. There's this little word in there called un that translates therefore. 
what is literally what John literally wrote was so when Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick therefore he stayed where he was two more days why why did he not immediately rush to Lazarus why did he wait no one knows. I've read dozens of, of commentaries on this. No one has a definitive answer. The most reasonable answer that I heard was that he needed to pray. In fact, later there's a part where Jesus, just before he, he calls Lazarus, says to God, thank you for hearing me. I know that you heard my prayers, um, but I'm saying this aloud so that everybody can can hear what I'm what you have done so there are some that think that maybe he just had to have some time of prayer before he he did what he was going to do but John doesn't say that John doesn't John doesn't give us any reason it just says he hears and therefore he stayed two more days and that is why verse 5 is absolutely essential. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. That comes, we hear that before we hear that he stayed two days. Dale Bruner helps, I think, make the, co the connection between verses 5 and 6. He writes, We need this assurance of Jesus' love because at first what Jesus will do or more precisely, what Jesus will not do, seems rather unloving. Often, in tragedies, Jesus does not look good. And this story will credit that understandable perception and its depression at several places in our chapter. Amidst a tragedy, disciples need every assurance of Jesus' love that they can possibly get. The Lord's timing, let us admit, does not always seem good. We readers know the end of the story and so have some relief. But this hurting family and every other hurting family before and since does not know future particulars at all and so is very vulnerable. Knowing the end does not lessen the pain of the afflicted parties in there now. Jesus's delays always hurt. Our text is honest. For anyone who cares for other human beings, there will always be reasons to grieve. And these days, there are many reasons. We pick up in verse 7. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, there were people there, Jewish leaders, who tried to stone you, and yet you are going back there? They were, the disciples know part of the reason they are where they are is because there were people trying to kill Jesus. And Jesus answered, Are there not 12 hours of daylight? A person who walks by day will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. 
It is when they walk by night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then, Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Then Thomas, called Didymus, the twin, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Does this clear things up for you? Uh, it, didn't, it didn't for me. Um, this part of the story in many ways, especially that little parable he tells too about walking in the day or versus walking at night, uh, I believe adds to the confusion of this story. Clearly the disciples, and I would incorporate myself with them, the disciples and Jesus are not on the same page. Um, he says one thing, they hear another. But they all go. Verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jewish people had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. As Jesus arrives on the scene, we see two very different responses from the two sisters. First, Martha. Uh, when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And I think that we should hear in her words the hurt and even the accusation that I think they are. If you had been here, he wouldn't have died. Then picking up on 22. But, this is Martha again, but I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Martha expresses a vague hope. There's, there's a little something here, but Jesus becomes very specific. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Martha's answer to this question is vital for us to understand because it's the key to our own hope. She answers, verse 27, Yes, Lord, she told him, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, 
who has come into the world. Dale Bruner catches the nuance in her, her answer. He writes, Martha doesn't say she believes in this. Remember, Jesus said, do you believe this? Martha doesn't answer, I believe this. She, sa- she does say, more honestly, she believes him. I believe that you are the Christ. Who can believe something they can barely understand? Believing Jesus, on the other hand, is something else and is enough. Martha can do that. Leslie Newbigin, a former bishop of South India, writes, adds to this thought, the prospect of a universal resurrection, remember she said, I believe you will be raised at the last day. The prospect of a universal resurrection on the last day is very cold comfort. Martha must learn and Jesus must now show her that the last day has already dawned. Jesus is himself in his own person, the end. The end as he was the beginning. Resurrection is no longer a mere doctrine. It is a living face and a name. Jesus is himself, the presence of the life, which is God's gift beyond death. Mary is a different story. Whereas Martha has gone out and confronted Jesus directly with her confusion and hurt, Mary was so overcome with sadness that she could not bring herself to meet Jesus. And yet, we hear in verse 28, after Martha had said this to Jesus, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Literally, when Mary heard this, she raised up. And that's important because that verb that's used to describe her rising up is the same verb used about Jesus being raised from death after the crucifixion. Again, Dale Bruner helps us make the deeper connection. The same verb used of Jesus' own resurrection in all three other Gospels is now used of Mary's resurrection from depression in our own gospel. There is more than one kind of resurrection in the gospels, and resurrection from depression is not the least. The gracious, inviting word of Jesus can conquer the death and paralysis of depression and despair and raise to new life and adhere to a fresh encounter with Jesus. And that's where we pick up the story again, verse 30. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When those who had been with Martha or been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. 
she is still dwelling in sadness and anger. But she shares this with Jesus. Verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping, and the, those who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. And again, wept, not just cried. Jesus wept. Then the, those who were with Mary said, see how he loved him. Once again, we circle back to Jesus' love for Lazarus, for his sisters, for all human beings. Jesus loves us so much that what hurts us hurts him. Jesus weeps for the suffering of this world. William Barclay speaks to this as beautiful as anyone. He writes, Jesus showed us a God whose very heart is wrung with anguish in the anguish of his people. A God who in the most literal way is afflicted in our afflictions. When Jesus drew this picture, he was drawing a completely new picture of God. The greatest thing that Jesus did for us was to bring us the news of a God who cares. There were still some who uh, weren't convinced. Verse 37, some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor, for he has been there for four days. Death was a much more common thing in those days and talked about much more openly and realistically. But then Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Once again, Jesus is trying to encourage hope in Martha from his presence there with her. I found uh, Tom Wright's, N.T. Wright's thoughts on this very helpful. He writes, Instead of looking at the past, and dreaming about what might have been, but now can't be. Jesus invited Martha to look to the future with that phrase, your brother will be raised. Then, having looked to the future, he asked her to imagine that the future is suddenly brought forwards into the present. I am the resurrection. This, in fact, is central to all early Christian beliefs about Jesus. The future has burst into the present. The new creation, and with it resurrection, has come forward from the end. Has come forward from the end of time into the middle of time. Jesus has not just come, as we sometimes say or sing, from heaven to earth. It is equally true to say that he has come from God's future into the present into the mess and the muddle of the world we know. 
Resurrection isn't just a doctrine. It isn't just a future fact. It's a person standing in front of Martha. And Jesus gives her and us a glimpse of that reality. Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. As many of you know, uh, I sometimes get overwhelmed by the sorrow of this world. And in many ways, uh, I see as much sorrow and pain and fear now as any time ever. Like Martha and Mary, I don't know why Christ has let it happen or where Christ is right now. But I do know this. Jesus loves us, and therefore we can hope for a better future. Our Hebrew First Testament text gives us the vision. Oh, yeah. Behold, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. For I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. The sound of weeping and crying will be heard in it no more. Never again. Will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old person who does not live out their years? The one who dies at a hundred will be thought a mere youth. The one who fails to reach a hundred will be considered accursed. They will build houses and dwell in them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. No longer will they build houses and others live in them or plant and others eat. For as the days of a tree, so will be the days of my people. My chosen ones will long enjoy the work of their hands. They will not toil in vain or bear children doomed to misfortune. For they will be a people blessed by the Lord, they and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they are still speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb will feed together and the lion will eat straw like the ox. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, says the Lord. Jesus loves us, and therefore not only do we have hope for a better future, but we can have hope even now. Paul wrote to the Ephesians, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live 
when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. And notice this is past tense, has already done this, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up already with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Even in the midst of our sorrow and grief, because we know that Jesus loves us and is present with us, we have hope. 